All right, what do we do when we're looking around in the world and we see uncertainty, we see ambiguity, we see real fear in ourselves and in people around us. We have to lead. We have to lead our families, our kids. We have to make decisions at work. We want to grow closer to our relationship with the Lord. We understand we want to deep have a deeper understanding of the nature of God and who God is so we can be in a better and closer relationship. And in that, how do we understand who we are, who we were made to be and what we were made to do, right? God said he prepared good works in advance. And today we're going to have a conversation about that with uh, Michael Seip. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. So a little bit, ex-Army Ranger captain. And I know how hard Ranger training is. I have a friend of mine that tried to get through Ranger training three times, Michael, and didn't make it. And I, I have so much respect for what you did in the military. And then, and then you got out of the military, 30 years in mergers and acquisitions. If you guys aren't familiar with that, think about that. You're buying and selling companies. So you get this view of outstanding leadership, of outstanding people, of outstanding processes. You also get to see the stuff that's not so good or the stuff that people have kind of hidden it's almost like a house inspector and you come in and you look at this beautiful home, you realize the foundation's crumbling. But you know, the work that you get to do in this M&A area, I think it's this beautiful way to have such an insight. And you've always come from a kingdom perspective, everyone so listening. So we're going to talk about things that I think develop healthy companies, healthy decisions. And this isn't just about business though, because you've done this at Crosspoint Capital. It was your investment banking firm. You've worked with over 5,000 companies, and then you started, and we're going to talk about this, right, your 10X groups. And if you're out there looking right now to be in a mastermind group, you'll get some information on what Mike's doing. I think it's critical that we're in these groups. But Michael, you and I were like, okay, this is going to be probably coming out early in 2021, and there's a lot of stuff happening right now. I really felt like right now we'd have a lot more clarity on what the world looked like and how we need to be operating. What do we need to be doing? And it almost feels to me in this moment, we're recording this toward the end of 2020, that it almost feels like it's gotten a little more opaque. And we were actually struggling with, hey, how do we serve, you know, as you are out there and you're listening and in you're tuning into this podcast, which we so appreciate, how do we really serve you? Like what's going on in your world right now? And Michael, what did we come up with? Well, our, uh, our topic, I think today is how to live an integrated life in what at least would appear to be a disintegrating world or a disintegrating culture. Because John, if you, th- if you think about this time last year, most of us were on top of the world. We'd, we were finishing the best year we'd ever had. And if you remember, there was all this jabber about 2020, the year of vision, you know, 2020 vision. And, and our vision was, you know, up and to the right. Everything was going to be amazing in 2020. And we could see it clearly, right? And then everything changed. And our vision of what we thought 2020 was going to be like 
completely changed. And in, in some cases, it was more obscured and more opaque, as you mentioned. But in many ways, it became very clear. We have seen clearly the divisions and differences of perspective in ways that we've never seen before. We've seen clearly some of the passions that emerged over the summer with the peaceful protests and the riots. And so there've been a lot of things that have been exposed. And so 2020 actually has been a year of a vision, just not the vision that we expected. But now we're in a situation where we're looking at 2021 saying, wow, you know, what, what does it look like? And it is for many people, very opaque. It is opaque. And here's the thing. What I've noticed, you know, all of what we're talking about, there's a lot of these external circumstances. And one of the things over the last nine years that I've had to work really hard on myself was getting to a place internally, right? My relationship with God, my understanding of who he is, what God's promises are and in developing a trust in those for me, right? When God said, like the first thing God said to me at my accident was Romans 8, 28. And I have always, right? All things work together for good for those that love the Lord, for those that are called according to his purpose. And you know what? When things were the bleakest for me, I had to hold on to that. And what I found was having that, healthy internal relationship, right? With the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then bringing that out into the day-to-day. And I got to tell you, it's not always easy because sometimes the last year and a half has been really hard. If you looked at this from a traditional business perspective. Internally, I got to tell you, it's been for me a place of some profound peace and joy, even though the external circumstances wouldn't have, you know, (laughs) aren't the puzzle pieces that you'd put together to say, oh, wow, well, you know, he must be doing pretty good. And I think that I'd love to have a conversation because you wrote a best-selling book, Avada, which is all about, from a biblical perspective, what is this integrated life you talk about? So before we dive into that, Michael, Can you share, when you say integrated life, what do you exactly mean by an integrated life? Sure. So so I wrote the book. It was released a year ago, and uh, and so I was writing it in the late summer and fall. It took about six weeks to write, which was, you know, kind of an extraordinary experience in and of itself. But the thing that prompted it was my work with CEOs and my mergers and acquisitions business with business owners and CEOs some of whom are Christ followers and most of whom are not. I mean, they're great people, honest, honorable, integrous people running great businesses and very successful, but not necessarily Christ followers. And then in my peer advisory groups, all Christian CEOs and business owners. and But all of them were wrestling with the same challenges of feeling like failures, even from the outside where they looked like things were going great to most people, they were struggling with these feeling of failure, you know, like, man, if I, if I put attention over here in my work, then my 
relationship with my wife suffers or I'm missing the little league games or I, I seem to be falling down on being a, a mom or a dad or man, I'm just not doing anything in the community. I can't seem to, you know, find the time to do it. And I don't know, I don't know how to deal with this. And so the cultural answer, the pop cultural answer that's been around for a long time is, John, you need to get your life in balance. What's the matter with you? You know, you need to just balance this thing out. And I mean, it's even used in coaching and, and there've been a, a whole bunch of books written about, hey, you got to get your life in balance. But if you, if you think about it, this is not a new concept. Actually, it goes way back to Socrates and some of the Greek philosophers who were teaching about the golden mean, which is kind of like an average, right? And if you think about it, that's probably not that attractive. Yeah, I want to be average. <laughs> I don't want to be too hot. I don't want to be too cold. I want to be kind of in the middle. And then you think about what Jesus had to say about that. He says, man, that's lukewarm. I don't, I'm going to spit that out. I don't want anything to do with that. And you think about the life of Jesus and he was far from lukewarm. He was far from average. He was extreme. He loved uh, extremely and he pressed into the call of the father extremely. He was way out of balance. It had nothing to do with balance. And so I thought, man, this is a really a flawed concept because first of all, you can never actually achieve it. And the minute you do, you're out of balance again. So we're trying to chase something we can't achieve. And that can be very can, frustrating. Oh yeah. So now, now you're failing again, right? I was failing. Now I'm trying you to live set about- yourself up for failure. <laughs> if you're even yeah. trying to right, pursue you can't do it. <laughs> this balanced life. Right. So I was failing before. Now I'm failing again because I can't get in balance. Must be something wrong with me. And so I get to thinking, maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Maybe the issue is not balance. Maybe the issue is integration. What would an integrated life look like? And interestingly enough, there's very little written about that topic. You hear the word, but there's very little written about it. And most of the discussions about living an integrated life are very circular. They're like, well, an integrated life is one in which everything's integrated. I'm like, well, that's not super helpful. <laughs> you know, what do we do with that? <laughs> but if you do a little study of the pop cultural literature, there's volumes written on living a balanced life, but not much of insight into what does an integrated life look like. And so I started doing some study and I went back to ancient Hebrew ultimately, um, which was kind of a circuitous path. But I ultimately. Well, you know what's the cool thing you do in the book is you actually go all the way back to individual letters from Greek, from Egyptian, you know, Aramaic, Roman, and Hebrew, and, and looking at the actual letters and how they were used to form some of these words. I mean, so for everybody listening, my, like this wasn't just like a curiosity. You did a deep dive to really try to understand this concept. Yeah, and, and what I was exposed to in doing that, and I, I'm no Hebrew scholar, and I certainly wasn't when I started, but I became fascinated by the Hebrew language and that style of language, which is not exclusive to Hebrew, but you know, Chinese and other languages have this characteristic of being picture languages. So the English language is phonetic. In other words, it, it goes by sounds. But the ancient Hebrew language was constructed of pictures, of images. And the fascinating thing about that is that in English, for example, one word basically, it can have multiple meanings, but it can't have multiple meanings at the same time. So if I say the word sign, you know, that could mean sign your name. It could mean a sign, like a billboard, 
or it could mean a sign from God. It could mean those three things, but it doesn't mean sign your name, here's a billboard and a word from God at the same time. Interesting thing about Hebrew is they constructed the words out of multiple symbols and each symbol had a story attached to it and still does actually. And so that pictorial language allowed you to, to build a, a rich context for one word in which multiple concepts could be integrated, which is the unique thing about that I discovered about ancient Hebrew was that one word didn't just mean different things, it meant different things at the same time and it integrated those concepts. Any examples of that come to mind, Mike? Well, it, all of, of the Hebrew words are like that, but the one that, that I discovered that I didn't know anything about was this word avada, and that became the, the title of the book and the theme of the book. And so if you go back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis, the word avada emerges, and it emerges when God sent Adam into the garden to avad it. That was the word in ancient Hebrew that was used. He sent Adam to go avad the garden. But then the word began to take on additional meanings throughout the Old Testament, where it was used about 450 some odd times. And it was used in the context of work. So like go work the garden, but it was also used in the context of worship and it was also used in the context of service. And so what you found, for example, was um, when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will, the way that it's said in English is serve, but the way it's said in Hebrew is I will avad the Lord. In other words, I will work for the Lord. I will worship the Lord. I will serve the Lord. That's what my house is to do. My household is to do. So there's this integrated concept just in one word that emerges through the Old Testament. It disappears as a word in the New Testament, which was mostly written in Greek, but in the Old Testament, it's everywhere. So as you dug into that, and we're talking about, you know, in the context of what we're all experiencing today and probably the way we'd like to be going through a, a time like this, what does that inform us for right now? That's a great question. So the word avada means, and an integrated avada life means a life that integrates work, worship, and service. And this time last year, there were different ways that people would interpret that. And because we, we had a whole different situation, but as we move into 2021, I think it calls into question in a really important and powerful way, what is work? What is the point of work? You know, what is the object of our work? Because there's always some object of our work. It could be my personal satisfaction. It could be my kids. It could be glory. It could, there's many, it could be money. There's many things that could be the object of work, but in the Avada context, the object of work is the Lord. But then how do we actually do that in this context? Second aspect of Avada is worship. Well, the concept that we had of worship, and I use this broadly, not necessarily you or, or any one of our listeners particularly, but broadly our concept of worship a year ago, can you believe it was only a year ago? <laughs> Gosh, it seems yeah. like decades. But a year ago, the kind of the common 
American concept of worship was we would bundle up the kids and go to church for 45 minutes or an hour. We'd sing a couple of warm and fuzzy songs. We'd hear somebody tell a Bible story and, you know, we'd have a cup of coffee on the way out and, and then head off for our day and, and check the box on worship. Now, even as I say it, clearly no one probably would say, well, yeah, that's, that really is, but that's what we were doing. And not everyone, of course, but that's what we were doing. Well, in our current environment, we don't even get to do that, right? Because churches are closed. And so we've got TV church and, you know, live stream stuff, which is kind of like, okay, we'll put the kids down at the table for their ODOs. And, you know, we'll have the church on in the background while we roam around and sweep the floor. You know, it, I don't know that that actually for many, many people turns into a time of worship. So the question of, you know, what is worship as we move into the season that we're in and, and headed into, you know, what, is, what does worship really mean? And then the third piece to it is service. Like, you know, last year, because most people came out of a very prosperous year, the idea of service was really more about, well, I think maybe we should just write a check to those that are doing a particular thing. So let's just give some money. And because we're pretty busy, you know, doing everything that we're doing, living an unbalanced life, we're pretty busy. So let's just send some money and let somebody else worry about it. Well, you know, we're coming into a season where service is going to become increasingly important and not just sending money. And in many cases, people might even have the money to send, but then how do we actually serve? So we're in a season where questioning what an integrated life of work, worship, and service is way different than it was a year ago. Yeah. I, what do you think the biggest differences are now? Well, I think that we have had shaken some of our, our most deeply held convictions. One of those is autonomy. Like, hey, I'm an individual and I get to do my own thing and nobody can tell me what to do because I'm an American and I'm autonomous. You know, you get to do your thing. I get to do my thing. And so I'm an individual, you know, very strong individualist characteristics in America. And most of my clients, CEOs and business leaders are all very, have, have very much a sense of autonomy. So that changed when lockdowns hit, right? We don't have that autonomy. This is really, this is quite troubling. And then the, the second thing that was a fallacy that we have held on to for many years in America and certainly strong leaders is self-sufficiency. So I got this. Yeah, you know, I'm smart, I'm skilled, I'm capable, and I've got this. Yeah, I can just grind it out and shape the yeah. outcome. Now, I still feel yeah, like you that. Know. I still feel like, you know, in partnership with the father. Well, you know what? You know what shifted for me? is instead of self-sufficiency, right? I can grind it out. I can work harder. I can figure it out. It's required me to really press back into, I'm in partnership with the father. This is he and I doing this together. And I have to seek him for every business decision I make, every small step that I take. That is my prayer every morning as I come down here and spend time alone with him is to say, what's that one thing I need to really focus on today. Now, one small step, and sometimes these small steps don't make sense in my mind. And I look back over a few months, I go, wow, look how that came together. 
And I got to tell you, for me, that has been the essence of being able to, I think, move through a period of adversity like this in a way that, I don't know, that feels like I've done it mostly well. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) Because when I get in my own head and think about what I need to do and I need to work harder, I need to come down here and redo this and redo that without really spending that time in really talking with God about it that's when I start to feel that level of stress and anxiety start to rise again. And that's my little internal barometer to myself. Like if I'm feeling stressed, I'm like, okay, you know what? I've been leaning into my own understanding. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you know what, the way that I've kind of phrased what you're talking about, because I think a lot of us are, are going through that is, is with another really uncomfortable word, at least for Americans, a really uncomfortable word and very much uncomfortable for ex-military guys like you and me, right? And that word is surrender. Mm. And, you know, the, from your military background and, and what I know of you and my experience in the military, the, the concept of surrender is like it's an anathema. Like, no, <laughs> we are not surrendering. We are going to win. In the context of our life, though, you know, with this question of autonomy and self-sufficiency, we have to look at, at surrender because we actually do all of us surrender to something. We surrender our life to ourself, you know, which is narcissism or you know, sociopathy. We might surrender our life to a relationship, you know. It's all about my relationship with my spouse. Or we might surrender to a career, we might surrender to money, but God calls us to surrender to him. And that sounds like I have to die to self. Oh no, (laughs) I have to give up my autonomy, my self-sufficiency. I have to, like, who am I then? Like, if I'm not me, if if I'm supposed to be a son of God and I'm supposed to surrender to the will of God and do his will, his way, you know, how do I reconcile that with my American desire to be autonomous and self-sufficient? And then if I do that, if I quote unquote surrender that way, does that mean I just like wait on the Lord all the time, sit in my prayer closet? How do I wrestle with my innate wiring for excellence and achievement and success? And that's the tension of the, of the Christian life, right? The razor's edge of both and yeah, we surrender, but then we work like crazy because the object of it is the Lord. Well, yeah. And what what I found was, you know, a lot of the, some of that tension you talk about, which can be very apparent between, you know, the income I want to make, right. And it could be either growing a company and having excess to give or just paying my bills, right. My own personal goals that I write down and I do this annually, I go read through, I go, and I write down all my goals for where I want to be physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. And I just get that all down on paper because what I found the way my brain works, Mike, I have to get all the kind of logical, rational, all the stuff that's in my head out on paper. This is an exercise I do. Then I go through that in prayer and say, you know, what's if this is resonating? How do I bring this in alignment with God's will right now? And it's been a really powerful experience because some of those things that I were was thinking about and focusing on, as I see it written down in context with everything else that's on the paper, 
all of a sudden some of these kind of fade away. Like that's not that important right now. But some of those things really are highlighted when I'm in my prayer time doing this. And some of them are vastly expanded. I did that just recently, just took two days away. And I don't know, wrote many, many, many pages in my journal. But what I came out of that realizing was a really clear focus on not only what's next, but that what God shared with me is the vision that I had that I thought was big was actually achievable on my own. And it was a big aha moment. Like, okay, where's God in what I'm trying to accomplish with our company and our people and the community that we serve and our mission in this? And what would it be a year from now if I was just sitting there celebrating with God and my close friends and my family where we stepped into fully that partnership? And I got to tell you, so that process of getting these in alignment takes a lot of intentionality. And by the way, you know, I sat down and did this and, and not only prayed about it, but then I debriefed everything I was thinking and what was on my heart with my coach, who's this amazing Christian woman. And I shared what had come out of that with men that are in my pinnacle forum, my Bible study. And I think it's so worth our time. This is a something that takes a lot of intentionality, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's a very interesting topic that you raised there because we're clearly at the time of the year where people historically think more about goals because we have this sort of arbitrary thing. We're moving into a new year, so it's time to have new goals and all of that. And, and so I do similar things to what you talked about and have for years, but last year this time, which is interesting given where we headed into, I had what I believe is a bit of a revelation and, and began to teach a little differently on this. And so working with in my peer groups with my 10x clients, I said, we're not going to talk this year about your goals. Because you've been doing this for a year, you make years, you make a list of your goals. And, and you know, sometimes you pray about it, sometimes you don't, sometimes you go through the process that john that you described, sometimes you just put your head down and grind it out and head toward the goal. And I said, let's back up from that a minute. And what about if you prayed into a directional concept and you ask the Lord to say, what direction do you want me to head in my marriage? What direction do you want me to head in my, in my work, in my business? What direction do you want me to head in my ministry and my work in the community? What direction would you like me to head in that? And how about if we, for the moment, park the goal idea and got a little clear about directions. And, you know, you, you've got a military background and so do I. And there, there are these things called guided missiles in the military. I mean, us ground pounders had shoulder fired rockets <laughs> and you, I, you had air to air missiles and things like that, right? Yeah. We had some cool stuff. Yeah. And so anyway, the idea behind those is not so much that you only aim at one point, but that you had a, a kind of a directional aspect to this where there was a constant adjustment of, of the flight of the missile toward the right direction, but it was really directional. There was adjustment all along the way. And so we've had some really fascinating discussions over the last year about this idea of setting a direction as the primary thing, which allows stuff like COVID or allows stuff like lockdowns 
or allows things like social tensions and cultural tensions, allows those things to happen without it being a devastating thing to our goals. Because we go, well, okay, we got a little gust of wind here. You know, we had a little thermal and, and the missile dropped, but we still know what direction that God wants us to head into. And so it's been kind of an interesting way to adjust to all the changes that have gone on this year in the environment and the conditions is to say, well, God, do you still want me headed in this direction? All right, how do I have to adjust in order to head that way? Well, I love what you said. My um, my book, which is coming out soon, called On Purpose with Purpose, it's built around a framework of what you just discussed. And think of one of those guided missiles or think of your own life. When you have an airliner and you're flying along and you're up at altitude and the crew has it on autopilot, do you know it's only on course less than 3% of the time? Which sounds a little bit like unnerving, but the <laughs> airplane is constantly being buffeted by winds. You're burning fuel, so the weight's changing. The flight dynamics or physics are affected by that. People are getting up, walking up and down the aisle. And if you think of a GPS, it has to know three things very accurately to be able to make those course corrections, you know, and stay, you know, like you talked about directionally. The first one is it has to know exactly where you're at, your present position. Like you think of a, you know, when you pull up an app on your phone, it doesn't know exactly where you're at. Waze is notoriously terrible at this. Hmm. It always gives me the first wrong direction out of wherever I'm turning. And then I got to do a U-turn or go around the block because it didn't know exactly where I was. And in our context, I think that, present position is we have to really work in understanding who God is and not who I am, but who did God make me to be? What is that best version of myself? Even though I'm not that person today, but it's, I need to move toward what God sees, not what I see. The second thing is we have to have a destination. A GPS has to know where it's going. And I think, you know, that's a big part of our calling, our purpose, a vision for our life. And I like to have a vision that's almost unachievable, which means that it's going to still be motivating me when I'm 70, when I'm 80, when I'm 90. I'm already in my 50s, so even in my 60s. But the other thing is it also has to know a true north, right? You're talking about all these different elements of work and worship and service And what are those guiding principles that we have, those beliefs that inform our actions, our beliefs about the world, our kingdom mandate, about our relationship with the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit? And all three of those have to be coming together constantly through our life to be able to move towards something meaningful. Well said, Where we've kind of come to in terms of measuring progress in our groups has been more directional, again, rather than did I hit my goal or did I hit my goals, but to ask the question over a given period, half a year, a quarter, a year, hey, am I I closer to New York (laughs) if that's where we're going to land the plane? Am I closer? Did I make progress in the right direction at any given point in time? And whether or not that meant I hit the specific goal that I set for myself, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, because 
there are external factors. And also, I don't know if you've, it probably doesn't happen to you, but sometimes I set goals that God doesn't agree with. You know, he says, oh, that nice try, but that's not actually what I want. And so we're going to go where I want to go. And you can buck and fight and scream about it, but you're not going to hit that goal because that isn't the goal that I want you to hit. Probably doesn't happen in your life, happens in my life more frequently than I'd like to admit. And so sometimes it's not a bad thing to miss your goals as long as we're moving in the direction God wants us to be moving in whatever domain of life it might be. So, you know, when you're talking about that directional thing, like I can picture it easily for marriage, right? Like, hey, we just a year from now, I want to have this amazing marriage. We're holding hands. We're just, you know, we've been together 30 years with my kids. And when you're working with business leaders and executives, what are some of those directional things that people have come up with, Mike, from that perspective, right? There's that world, I think, often feels a lot more complex because it's not about just decisions that affect me, right? It's my employees, it's payroll, it's my gosh, can they afford their more? I mean, there's a lot more at stake when we're making business decisions or setting business directions, don't you think? It feels like it to me anyway, sometimes. Sure. Yeah, there's more moving parts and more people and more um, motivations and more desires and all. So some of the, that's a great question that you ask. And so some of the things that come out of that directional thing or that directional discussion tend to be more qualitative than quantitative. So you can set a business goal and say, you know, I want to have 10 million in sales in 2021. Okay, that's a goal, you know. And I wouldn't call that a direction necessarily. It's a goal. I want to have 10 million in sales in 2021. But the directional thing begins to speak more toward values. Like in the course of growing the revenue of the business, what are some things that are, I'm not going to compromise on. What are some other things that I want to see in the direction we went ahead with the business? In other words, what kind of a life do we want to produce for the people that work here? What kind of relationships do we want to produce for the families that are employed and fed and housed out of the work we do here? What kind of a culture do we want to create in the process of maybe getting to this $10 million in revenue or whatever the number might be. So the directional thing opens up more of a values-based and a qualitative kind of discussion and also a conversation with the Lord. We say, Lord, you know, you made me to be a business guy. You put me in the marketplace. You didn't make me a policeman as noble as that profession is. You didn't make me a doctor as noble as that profession is. You didn't make me a teacher. You made me a business guy or a business gal so if I'm going to do that with excellence, if I'm going to lift that up as a form of worship, the work that you've given me to do in the marketplace, if I'm going to lift that up as a form of service, you know, how do you want that to show up in the world? Because I'm supposed to be a testifying force. I'm supposed to show the world about your love through the way that I behave. What does that mean in terms of the direction I should take my business qualitatively. Well, I love what you're saying there too, because that we've both seen companies hit a goal or set a short-term goal like that, and they hit it at the expense of all those things that you just mentioned, right? The relationships, 
the culture, reputational things. But what you also said, it's such a universal thing. Really, it's about, hey, how do I want to show up? You know, maybe I'm somebody that just, you know, I'm a member of a team. I'm showing up to an organization. I'm now a remote worker. But how do I treat others? Do I gossip about that one person that can be difficult? Are you the one that actually is part of the problem in an organization, but you're not seeing it right now? Because I've been that guy, right? I've been my attitudes and beliefs sometimes toward what's going on, toward other people, toward how decisions that people are making. And I look back on it now and there's people I've had to go back and just apologize to because I realized I was not showing up as an ambassador to Christ, even though I think in the moment I felt I was, but I was showing up. I was the judgment, judge negative. I was judgmental. I was critical. And we have this amazing opportunity right now to show up as our best self and be a witness in everything that we do. And I know for me, that has required a lot of personal growth and change, Mike. Yeah, we're we're definitely in that season. I, you know, I, I think we're right on the edge of that season because I think a lot of people are still sort of shell-shocked about how this year has played out. It's kind of like, wow, you know, I didn't think it was going to go on this long. And what does it mean? And you know what? I don't think we've actually moved into yet. And I, I believe that's what 2021 is going to look like is, okay, all this stuff happened. All this stuff happened to me, even though it, <laughs> I don't think it was a cosmic arrow at, at me or you, but it feels like it happened to me and all this stuff happened to us. And we, we find ourselves in a different world than we were in a year ago. And yet we're still called, and maybe even more so, called to represent Christ well. And what does that look like in the context of the challenges and the upset that we have currently and that we're going to see in 2021? It really reframes the question in a big way, because some of the goals that I might have set last year at this time, or that my friends might have set this time last year, kind of look hollow and really sort of irrelevant to the situation we're in right now. Like I might've said, man, you know, we're going to travel the world. That's what we're going to do this year. That's what it's going to look like. And now there's nowhere to go. (laughs) You you can't do that. And so I think we're going to see a settling in. We're going to see a lot of despair from people who don't know the Lord, but for those that spend time with him, I think we're going to see revelation about, what role we're to play in the challenges that the world is in right now. Mm. Well, Michael, how do people find you, connect with you, find out more about the 10X groups, your book? So I have uh, probably more websites than any any one guy should have. But uh, my personal website is michaelksype.com, michaelksype.com. And then my 10X website is 10xgroups.com. That's the number 10xgroups.com. And my mergers and acquisitions firm site is crosspoint 
and point is spelled with an E, crosspointcapital.com. And so all those various schizophrenic parts <laughs> of my work are represented in those three sites. <laughs> oh, well, I love what you're doing. So as we wrap up, just when people have been listening in, Michael, any just final thoughts for everybody? Well, I think this question about how to live an integrated life of work, worship, and service in the new world reality that we're in and that we're heading into, I think that's deserving of a lot of prayer and meditation and study and thought and also conversation. So, you know, meditation and prayer is great. Talking to the Lord is great. It's better to listen to the Lord, I've found, than for me to talk to him. But all of that is great. The thing, though, and you alerted, alluded to this earlier in some of our conversations, and that's the value of being in conversation with other uh, men and women seeking righteousness. Because those conversations, just like the conversation that you and I have had now and then previous to going on air and in our past discussions, those conversations have been of huge value to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful. And I thank you for that. And so, but if we hadn't had those conversations, I would have missed out. And so one of the things that COVID has has done is it's, or the I should say the response to COVID, whether it's the media induced fear or the government induced lockdowns or whatever, one of the things that it's done is it has driven us apart. And we need to fix that. We need to draw together and whether if that has to be Zoom, if it has to be a phone call, then it, it is what it is. But whatever, we've got to break the isolation and get in conversation with good-hearted, right-minded men and women that are headed in the direction of righteousness. Like, Lord, I, I want to be more righteous. I want to be better. Show me how to do that. And I want to be in conversation and I want to be in community with other men and women who are headed that same direction. I think that's a critical aspect of next year. Well said. So, well, thank you, Michael, for who you are and what you're doing. And I just really encourage everybody to, you know, the Avada principle is such a needed work right now about how to pull all this together and think about things, I think, from a biblical perspective, a heavenly perspective, in a real way that we can actually bring into you know, a time of turbulence and it's something we really need. So thank you for what you do and who you are, my friend. And thanks for the time of conversation that we've had in previous phone calls. And today it's, um, I love your wisdom and I love what I learn when we talk and that I'm grateful to have met you, grateful to know you, appreciate your friendship and the opportunity to be here today. Yeah. Thanks buddy. You're awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Yes.